The Guardian. It's Friday, July the 2nd. I'm Mike Duran. Welcome to Guardian Daily. Today we're looking at the prison reforms highlighted by the Justice Secretary, Ken Clark, this Wednesday. We'll be asking whether Mr Clark's proposed alternative to the bang-em-up prison culture that we've had under the Labour government is a workable philosophy or just a way of keeping costs down during this period of straitened times. The prison population had doubled since I was Home Secretary in the early 1990s. Prison population stands at more than 85,000 today. I find that an astonishing number. But you shouldn't ignore the fact that it costs more to put someone in prison for a year than it does to send a boy to Eton, which is one of my favourite comparisons. It costs about 38,000 a year. The taxpayers providing keep and accommodation for Her Majesty's guests in grossly overcrowded conditions. And we spend vast amounts of public money on a growing prison estate and ever more prisoners. Uh, Contrary to what the Financial Times has apparently reported this morning, we haven't stopped doing that, actually. I do not wish to repeat the experience of my predecessor who succeeded in locking up so many people that he had to start letting them out early. So I ask this, how should we best go about improving the safety and protecting the property of honest citizens in the most cost-effective way for the taxpayer. I'm sure prison is the necessary punishment for very many serious offenders. But does ever more prison for ever more offenders always produce better results for the public? We have actually one of the highest crime rates in Western Europe, and we have one of the highest, if not the highest, prison population in proportion to our population. Just banging up more and more people for longer without actively seeking to change them is, in my opinion, what you would expect of Victorian England. The Justice Secretary, Ken Clark, speaking at the Centre for Criminal and Justice Studies earlier this week. Here in the studio to try and answer some of the questions Mr Clark has just raised is Juliet Lyon, Director of the Prison Reform Trust, Paddy Scriven, the General Secretary of the Prison Governors Association, and The Guardian's Home Affairs Editor, Alan Travis. Alan, let's turn to you first for an overview of Ken's proposals, which it's worth pointing out are just that at the moment. This all fits in with the sometimes heard epithet of Cuddly Ken, but has he come up with anything new? Well, I think it's a very interesting moment because uh, we're hearing here from a leading member of the Cabinet a kind of language about prisons and crime that we haven't heard for 20 years from a leading member of the government. Not just, you mentioned uh, the penal policies of the last Labour government, this is actually talking about a prison works policy that's been declared since 1993 by Michael Howard. And uh, we now hear hear him signalling a major shift away from that. Uh, Reminds me almost, he said, of the language of a Douglas Heard white paper back in 1990, which called prison an expensive way of making bad people worse. The situation that Ken Clark finds himself in is he's inherited a record prison population of 85,000, and he's uh, got to decide whether he's going to push ahead with a prison building program of further 11,000 places over the next three or four years, which costs £4 billion. And obviously, in the public spending squeeze, this is not necessarily uh, a proposition which uh, appeals greatly. And uh, so he is now proposing perhaps an alternative, which the Conservatives talk about as being a a rehabilitation revolution in which they uh, try and do something about 
cutting reoffending rates of those both inside and those outside. What I don't think he's going to do is uh, see a massive sudden reduction in the prison population. He's not going to start letting out thousands of people. But I think what he's trying to do is talk down the prison population, trying to arrest the growth of it, halt that rapid rise, that remorseless rise you talked about. Paddy Scriven, General Secretary of the Prison Governors Association. What problems do prison governors face at the moment with overcrowding and underfunding? Underfunding is a real problem. Overcrowding is very patchy. There are prisons that aren't overcrowded. Most prisoners in single cells, there is a small amount of spare capacity at the minute. But the, uh, the space tends to be in the wrong place. You'll get overcrowded prisons, for example, in central London, and there's space available in the northwest, so it's it's just not practical. Um, but overcrowding's been a constant problem with the service. In now, terms do, of, do you recognise that changes need to be made to how prisons operate, or are things funding aside on the right track for you at the moment? Ken Clark was a little disingenuous in which he said that uh, prisons shouldn't just be places for punishment, they should be for education, hard work and change because the prison service uh, has programmes of work, um, does education, has considerable success with reoffending uh, programmes, but for the top end uh, of the sentences, there has to be a change with the lower end sentences if we're going to meet the budget. And governors really are struggling and are going to struggle more because the budgets are going to be cut. So there's a question of what else is going to be cut. Is it going to be prison officers' numbers? If it's prison officer numbers, then we're going to have to look at having less prisoners. Well, how do you cope with this decreasing budget? How long can you keep things from boiling over with some prisoners locked up in their cell for 20-plus hours a day? Phil Wheatley, who has just left as the head of the prison service, said some three or four years ago when we had to reduce budgets and go on to what was called the core week, which meant that most prisoners were locked up on Friday nights, Saturdays and Sundays, that he thought that was as far as we could go. Let's take a look at how we've got to the stage where a Tory-led coalition is propounding a more liberal prisons policy, while Labour very much wants to be seen as the party which is tough on crime. David Hanson, he's the Labour MP for Delhi and North Wales, the former Home Office and Prisons Minister working directly with Jack Straw. He says that Ken Clark has got it wrong. He argues that cutting funding to prisons will mean that crime stats will start to go up. With Jack Straw and myself, we looked at where the prison worked. And I think it does because we've got uh, more serious, dangerous, violent offenders being caught, being sentenced for longer and being put away. We need to have that protection for the public. But where I agree with Ken Clark is we need to look at how we stop reoffending, what we do in terms of community-based sentences and how we make them more effective. And there is certainly work to be done on housing, on alcohol, on drug misuse, on rehabilitation, on employment. Uh, Where I part company with Ken Clark is he's planning to cut his department's budget by 25% over the next four years, which I don't think we can do. Well, surely he's not. That's down to the Treasury, isn't it? If he didn't have to, then he wouldn't. He's trying to do rehabilitation and housing, employment, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, at the same time as he's not recognising that actually costs resources. He's currently cutting the probation budget this year in-house by £20 million over what we planned as a Labour government. If you were in his position financially with the resources that he had, what would you cut? I think we need to look at uh, how we use prison. And one of the things that we were doing was trying to modernise the estate. And what I haven't yet heard from Ken Clark is whether he's going to continue to do that. We had a very big building programme, but it was a building programme to replace some of the Victorian prisons that Ken Clark was most concerned about to try to put in 
better facilities for rehabilitation, for training, for employment, for drug and alcohol abuse issues. And that's one of the things that I've yet to hear whether Ken Clark's going to continue on that capital programme. The Labour MP for Dellin, David Hanson. Let's hear now from Juliet Lyon, Director of the Prison Reform Trust. Juliet, Mr Hanson has a point, doesn't he, that crime has gone down under Labour's more punitive regime. More modern prisons are, he argues, the way forward and this government is missing that point. I think it's arguable whether crime's gone down because of increased and excessive use of incarceration or whether it's gone down because of better policing, better technical means of screening out crime, you know, in terms of alarms and systems of that kind. If we were to go on investing on that level, it's £170,000 per place. That's the build and maintenance cost of each new prison place. There would be very little money indeed left for the kind of reforms that Ken Clark's been putting forward in the last few days. It seems very important um, that actually the money is reinvested from the prison estate into the kind of things that will cut crime, will maintain public confidence, will increase the confidence of magistrates and judges who will feel they have a genuine option. Ken Clark, in his full speech, implied that you can't rehabilitate somebody while in jail in less than 12 months. Do you agree with that? I think it's something that people have said many times. Phil Wheatley himself, um, when he stepped down from the prison service, said that short sentences were, in his view, a waste of time. What happens mostly on a short sentence is that people get assessed and then reassessed and they're in this revolving door of offending and crime. Whereas if you look at the results now from community sentences, enforced community work and payback, and you look at the results from drug treatment in the community and mental health care and diversion, you're seeing far better results in relation to reconviction statistics. The answer isn't, as Ken Clark says, to bang everybody up for longer. What we're talking about, I think, is an intelligent way of using prison as that punishment of last resort. What about the opposite argument, that if you give prisoners a short, sharp shock, maybe they'll be too frightened to go back to jail? If you look to America, they still operate chain gangs. You find that they have the worst results in terms of reconviction rates. So we do have to park, I think, those methods straight away. In terms of what works best, what we can see very clearly now from Ministry of Justice figures is is that... Yes, occasionally a short, sharp shock could work, but actually the reality is that many of these people are going in many, many times. And if you start off young with jailing a teenager, that's pretty much the best way to grow the adult prison population of the future. And that's something that really you'd need to avoid. You need to avoid it on social grounds, but now also on economic grounds. Do you have a list of crimes for which you don't get a custodial sentence? Can you... Make it as easy as that, right? If you do such and such, you don't go to jail. I think it's hard to do it like that. I mean, that's why the sentencing review is, go- is going to be very important that the Secretary of State's announced. The sentencing review is going to have to look at the best way of giving guidelines to the courts and giving them the discretion back. I mean, one of the reasons we've got this massive inflation in sentencing and a huge number of extra people in prison is because of the number of mandatory penalties that were introduced under the last government. Alan Travis, how do we compare to other countries? As we heard Ken Ken Clark say at the start of the programme, there are several other European countries with less crime and with fewer people in prison. I think there's the classic piece of criminological work about... uh, how much does prison lead to cutting crime levels, was done in about 1994 by a man called Roger Tarling, who was the uh, number two at the head of the Home Office Research Department in then, and he estimated that you would have to increase the prison population by 25% in order to cut the overall crime rate by 1%. Now, that was a theoretical work in 1994, and since then, and I think he was probably about right, that of the 35% drop in crime since 1995, it's probably about 4 or 5% of it is due to 
the incapacitation effect. Obviously, people inside can't commit crimes outside. They may commit crimes whilst they're in prison. And I think the prime principle anti-crime measure over the last 15 years has probably been the economic boom and the fact that people have jobs. And that job is, I think, is probably the, the single greatest anti-crime measure you can have. And so it's interesting to see what will happen now in the recession. And obviously, that economic boom has been across Western Europe, and so we've seen falling crime rates across Western Europe. And it's interesting that only six months ago, the policy on prisons of the Conservative Party was to build 5,000 more places than whatever Labour promised going into the election campaign. Guardian Daily, from guardian.co.uk. Let's hear now from John Thornhill, the chair of the Magistrates Association. What do they do when charged with protecting the public? It does depend on what we're looking for. If we're talking about the only reason for sending somebody to prison is to rehabilitate, of course short-term sentences don't necessarily work. But of course there are four other purposes of sentencing, one of which is to punish, and deprivation of liberty is a form of punishment. So it may be that what we're saying is that we will not rehabilitate entirely on a short-term custodial sentence, but we are punishing. That's the real issue that magistrates face on a regular basis. We have offenders before us who have been given community orders who failed to comply on one, two, three or more occasions. And although we try to ensure that they are not sent to custody, in the end, if they fail to comply and there are no other stringent viable alternatives, the only choice we have is to send to custody. Are there alternatives to custody that you've seen that are working effectively? Yes, we have in Merseyside a pilot scheme and it's running in five other areas called Intensive Alternatives to Custody. These are quite stringent. The offenders are monitored electronically by a a tag. They have to attend programmes, they have to attend probation, they may be required to, to do some unpaid work and all of that is properly monitored and recorded using the electronic tag. Magistrates are quite enthusiastic about these and the interim results that I received as the chairman of the National Census Probation Forum earlier this year suggested that they were being successful in reducing reoffending rates compared to, say, custodial sentences and indeed compared to some other forms of non-custodial sentence. Unfortunately, we were also then told that the money for them would be removed in March next year if sensible constructive, rigorously monitored and effective non-custodial alternatives are provided, magistrates will use them, yes. John Thornhill, the chair of the Magistrates Association, talking to The Guardian's Tim Maybe. Juliet Lyon, you heard Mr Thornhill talk there about alternatives to custodial sentencing. He also used the word punishment. Unless offenders see their sentence as punishment, it becomes a bit of a joke, doesn't it? Well, I think in the old days, you know, the, the press used to like to run stories about people being let off or slap on the wrist if they got anything other than a prison sentence. I think now we're looking much more at the kind of schemes that John Thornhill's talking about, things where there is a deprivation of liberty or there's some stricture on liberty that you have to attend things, you have to lose your own time, you have to give up in order to give back to the community, to pay back. There's much more emphasis on restorative justice, which really could be expanded pretty rapidly. Um, In Northern Ireland, where they're doing that with under 18-year-olds, the results are pretty um, impressive. Looking there at at a reduction in youth crime, far fewer children in prison in Northern Ireland and a 90% victim satisfaction rate. 
And that's the kind of thing that, that would be a real prize for this government to drive towards real victim satisfaction at last and a reduction in crime. You can also have diversion for people who are addicted to drink, to drugs, people who have mental health problems, people who have learning disabilities, who've really got caught in the justice net. Paddy Scrim, do you see your members burdened, the burden placed on prisons to house the mentally ill? Do we need a fresh look at this issue? Yes, we do. A large number of uh, people in prison suffer from mental health problems. Some of it's very low level. Some of it's related to their offending. But the reality is that care in the community that I think was introduced in about 1974 hasn't worked in the way it should. And we've lost a lot of psychiatric hospital places. We have, we have nowhere to care for some of these people. So prison staff are doing the work of psychiatric hospitals. The prison system isn't geared to it. So it is a huge burden and it's a wholly inappropriate place for them. Alan Travis, what about the all-important issue of funding? Are we likely to see further growth of the private sector in the business that is prisoned? Well, interestingly, uh, Ken Clark, whilst promising a rehabilitation revolution, had to say at the same time, he's honest enough to say, that there isn't going to be any extra investment going into the probation service uh, for non-custodial sentences. And the Conservatives, for uh, two or three years now, uh, have developed a policy called the Rehabilitation Revolution which means uh, bringing in social enterprise, private equity capital, uh, which is in a way an interesting initiative. It's uh, it's a kind of offshoot of uh, Gordon Brown's treasury plans. Uh, There's an organisation called Social Finance, which is uh, chaired by people from NatWest, Goldman Sachs and Sir Ronald Cohen, who was a man close to uh, Gordon Brown. And uh, they've put together something called a social impact bond, which is running in a pilot scheme in uh, Peterborough Prison at the moment, in which they leverage in private capital, private money to fund voluntary organisations and private companies providing rehabilitation and uh, courses. And Ken Clark says that they'll be paid by results. And in some way, if there's money saved and reoffending rates are cut, then the saving to the state in not jailing those people will be paid out to those uh, who invest in these social impact bonds. I think it's quite an interesting area in which they're hoping to bring private money into this area. Paddy Scriven, could the extension of the private sector be the answer? Ken Clark introduced, I think, the first private prison into this country. Um, the public sector prison service would say that uh, it does the job perfectly well. Public sector prison staff are equally skilled. Interestingly, private sector prisons are run by governors that the private sector has poached from the public sector who've paid for their training and paid for their experience. Where the money's needed is the what happens next. It's the argument about the mentally ill and the drug takers and the people who are imprisoned for short sentences who lose their homes, lose their families. The private equity is very good. The third sector dealing with rehabilitation, dealing with housing, needs to be when people leave prison or before they come into prison as a diversion from prison. Putting it into prison, money into prison, is helpful on occasions, but but it's the what happens next. Juliet Lyon, do you trust the private sector when their bottom line is profit? I think you have to watch it. I think you have to look and see what happens when you develop a a big vested interest. If you look across international comparisons, what you see in terms of private prisons is a situation in some places where having promised we'll deliver something for you, um, there is no investment whatever in reducing prison numbers to any kind of unavoidable minimum. 
rather the reverse, in fact. Again, one has to, to look at how that balances out with what has already been delivered by very good voluntary organisations on quite a big scale. If you look at, you know, NACRO, SOVA, Turning Point, delivering very good programmes, whether that's going to add the important extra dimension or whether we don't need it remains to be seen. Let's finish then with a response from all of you in a sentence or two, if you could, on whether... You think Ken Clark is a different kind of Justice Secretary. Can he, in fact, implement these new proposals or are they just a wish list that will remain a wish list? Paddy Scrim. In terms of uh, reducing the short-term prison population, I would hope it's not a wish list. He has the support of prison governors and hopefully we can get that done and that'll give us some of the capacity we need to deal with the other prisoners as they should be. Juliet Lyon. He's proposing an overarching solution. He's going to look at the sentencing review. He's going to look at rehabilitation. It's important to have both ends of it. It is possible to get rid of short sentences and have better alternatives in the community, there's no doubt. He's also talked about not having longer and longer sentences. And it's important he addresses that end of things, that he looks too at the indeterminate sentence for public protection, which has been virtually Kafkaesque in its impact, and really takes that overview. If he can do that and continue to maintain that emphasis on common sense and intelligence, then we'll get somewhere. And Alan Travis, can Ken Clark convince his Tory colleagues? Well, I think it's much harder for a justice or a home secretary to talk down the prison population than it is to talk it up. And I think that uh, the key to this will be whether or not he can persuade the courts and the judges and the magistrates to use uh, non-custodial sentences. And that will depend upon the successor otherwise of his rehabilitation revolution. And if he can't uh, do that, it's going to take time, 18 months, maybe two years, for the sentencing structure to change as well. And I think that may well depend on how long Ken Clark is interested in doing it. He's 70 now. This isn't made quite clear. This isn't the job he wanted. He wanted to be the business secretary. And I think it would be an interesting question how long he's prepared to see this through. Thank you very much to my guest, Juliet Lyon, Director of the Prison Reform Trust, Paddy Scriven, General Secretary of the Prison Governors Association, and Alan Travis, The Guardian's Home Affairs Editor. Producing today was Tim Maybe. Thank you for listening. Guardian Daily. News and reports from around the world.